talk about legacy and what it means to be a maniac, it could mean a number of different things. Family, history, accomplishments, and of course our worldwide reputation for excellence. That word, excellence, is something to be extremely proud of, both on and off duty. Airmen contribute to our excellence in more ways than one. In fact, I'm currently working on a video story about a stuffed animal. Yes, you heard that right. A stuffed animal that went on an amazing journey throughout Afghanistan, passed from airman to airman. A day in the life sort of thing. Maintainers, pilots, special forces, various groups who brought a stuffed unicorn everywhere they went. Why? So that when the journey was all said and done, that unicorn would go to a home. A home where a little girl lives, and she'll cherish that unicorn forever. And the whole thing was orchestrated by a maniac. Excellence. And of course, excellence is one of our core values. But another core value that is near and dear to our hearts is service before self. It plays a big part in what we do for all who serve, future, present, and past maniacs. I'm Master Sergeant Andy Sinclair, and this is episode 41 of the Maniac Radio Show. In just a moment, we're going to sit down and talk with a maniac who spent many, many years out here, but continues to be involved and do his part as a member of the Maine Air National Guard Retirees Association. We're also going to sit down with our wing retention specialist and hear from him. So stick around, turn up the volume, take off your coworkers, and enjoy the show. So I'm sitting here with Senior Master Sergeant Retired Rick Johnson. He is part of the Maine Air National Guard Retirees Association. He's agreed to come into it to do a podcast, which we're, we're more than uh, we're very happy about. We've never had a member from from that association to come in and talk with us, so we're very excited about that. So thank you, Rick. Well, you're very welcome, Andy. Thank you for the invitation, and it's always a pleasure to come in. We, we love having you. So, again, thank you for coming in. So, can you give us a brief history of who you are and, wh- and where you came from? Uh, again, my name is uh, Rick Johnson. Uh, I enlisted out here in 1966, August. Basic training after that. I uh, came back from tech school in February of 67. And I've been kicking around here ever since and love every minute of it. It's a fa- fantastic organization. So when you say tech school, what, which tech school is that? I went to, uh, well, it was parachute school then, but it, it uh, had later been termed survival equipment. Uh, we worked on, uh, well, initially with the fighters. We did uh, the drag chutes, the personnel parachutes at the air crews war. Uh, and we did a lot of sewing. Uh, repairs of uh, equipment and shop things too. Shops would need dust covers. We would uh, manufacture those. Um, we did a lot of uniforms. Uh, when people get uh, promoted, it's it's pretty cool to see the smile on their face when they can put that new stripe on or that new uh, officer rank on. 
they feel pretty good about it. So we were very pleased to be able to fill that role for them. Uh, in 1975-ish, when the uh, tanker came along, um, our role changed quite a bit to we still had the parachutes, but uh, we also had life rafts, uh, life preservers, uh, again, making bags for different uh, items like the uh, oxygen bottles, or the, carry, the walk around bottles that uh, passengers would need. Uh, probably one of our, and by the way, I had some of the most phenomenal people in that shop. They've gone on to some uh, pretty neat things out here as well, but uh, it was great working with them, um, supervising, steer them in the right direction. They came with a good work ethic uh, and they were all dedicated to the unit. Uh, and along that line, the our greatest probably achievement or accomplishment was uh, late 70s, early 80s with the uh, Glossy Eagle program, and that's when these aircraft were oh, coming up on 20 years old, I guess, at that time. Yeah, somewhere in there. Everything was tired. The interiors were uh, torn. Was, there was no uh, protection for the insulation. So they would get brittle and torn. So we started um, a program here that actually ended up going nationwide. The Air Force would see our airplanes and say, how did you do that? Well, we did it in increments. We would do the cockpit and the boom pod first during a phase inspection. Tremendous assets with the dock people and the crew chiefs that were assisting taking things apart so we could manufacture the new blankets and new decals and things like that. The corrosion shop at the time, uh, working with the instrument shop, were taking the dashboards apart and uh, getting them rehabbed, repainted. Uh, and when air crews would step into that cockpit, they'd just smile again, you know, the, that uh, their comrades had uh, stepped up and made their work area more pleasant to be in. Uh, it would take probably four phase inspections for us to complete one airplane but we just continued on and we went to we were invited down to Barksdale Air Force Base uh, to show our airplanes and uh, the Air Force was there the reserves were there uh, and they were in awe in fact one general said okay so this is um, your best airplane and at the time, it was a crew chief, uh, Rod Fogg. It was his airplane. And Rod just kind of grinned and he said, no, he said, we have uh, eight more just like it. Wow. The general wasn't quite convinced. The next, th we were down there during the week and on that drill weekend, there's a G5 showed up on the ramp with this general in. He got off the airplane, walked through our fleet, shook his head, congratulated everybody, got back on his airplane and went back to Barksdale. We were quite proud. That's pretty wild. The whole unit, I mean, but when Rod Fogg said to the, and Rod always had a, a, a real fun smile. And he, uh, he just shook his head and said, no sir, we have, I think the number was eight, might've been nine more just like it. 
and he came in. So that, as far as achievements go, work-wise, that uh, that was at the top of the list for me and for our crew. Well, you served, and you were out here for 37 years. Is that what you told me before we hit record? Yes, uh, I had 37 years of uh, technician time, and it was 30, almost 39 guard time. Wow. So, uh, and uh, as after I retired, uh, again, getting back to sewing on uniforms, uh, there was still a call for that. So I hung out a couple of signs around the base. If you need them, give me a call. I come out, pick them up, take them home, do them, and bring them back. And uh, it, it's still fun to see the kids' faces. And that's a term of endearment. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, because. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do it for their dads or their mothers. And uh, I was at the clinic one day and picking up some items. And there was a young lady in the corner and she said, oh, I just came from, I think it was Ohio, she said. And uh, there was a guy there that used to do stripes too. And one of the uh, uh, ladies, I think it was Mary Pelletier said, uh, did he come pick him up? Did he bring him back? Was it reasonable? And she said, well, no. She's, and then the young lady looked at me. She says, so you know where to put these on? And I just kind of chuckled. And I said, well, the first stripes that I ever sewed on, a uniform, was around March of 1967. So, yeah, you know what you're doing. And she said, oh, I guess you do know. <laughs> and at that time, it was around 53 years. That yeah. I've, in fact, I just picked some more up down there this morning from from them, but it's fun. It's fun to see uh, people get promoted. It's a positive thing. Uh, they've worked for it. Uh, they're not just given. Just because you're in a slot, you you do work for it. And with the supervisors and the, your co-workers, it makes it easier. And it's pretty neat that you get to be a part of that. Like you, you, you may not know the individual, or, or you may or may not know them, but the fact that you get to be a part of that whole process is pretty amazing. Yeah, I again, I, I just thoroughly enjoy it. And so it's fun. And if you guys haven't figured it out already, he is the, the gentleman that comes out here and picks up your uniforms, mm -hmm. brings them back home, sews them on, and then brings them yeah. back. Customer service, full circle. With a full military discount on the price. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> so any any of you out there who aren't in the military that are getting promoted with military stripes, you gotta put you gotta pay full price. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that so that's awesome. So even after thirty seven years, you still continue to serve and you still continue to help out the maniacs and be a part of the maniacs and that kind of leads into what I want to talk about next which is the uh, the Maine Air National Guard Retirees Association um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know what you guys do I have a rough idea but if I ever had questions I know that you would be the guy that I would call but can you please explain what it is that you guys do and what do you guys do for us well, it started uh, back in around 2001, 2002. There were some folks that were gathered around the old club and they wanted to stay in connect connected with those that had retired and those that were uh, looking forward to it. So the organization was uh, formed, board of directors, uh, bylaws, the whole works, uh, a lot of hard work by some phenomenal people. Uh, they started doing reunions on base with a chicken barbecue and some, some uh, related it to uh, like a campaign stump of uh, the rubber chicken uh, barbecues or whatever. But after that, uh, it was sponsorship uh, is now through Martins Point Family Health uh, through the assistance of Tom Bro, who was 
a representative of theirs, but retired out of South Paul and is a recruiter. Since then, uh, we've gone on. We're a resource organization. We provide information. Uh, we have a uh, bi-monthly newsletter that uh, Chuck Halstead puts out, a retired boomer, and his information on health care, benefits, retirement pay, where to go to get this question answered, where to go to get that question answered. You're an automatic member when you retire. There's a form on the out-processing that you can fill out and give to us with your email, whatever other information you want to share, and we will put you on the mailing list for, or the email list for the information that uh, we have at hand. It's very informative. Uh, it's brought a lot of success and a lot of um, help to people. Uh, one instance that we do as well, uh, there was a retiree, Gene Simon. He was from Old Town. He said at one of our breakfasts, he said, Rick, he said, what happens when I die? And I said, well, Gene, aside from the obvious that you're not with us any longer, what do you mean? He said, well, my brother, Walt, who also was out here, passed away suddenly, had no idea. The family had no idea what to do. So we listened to that, and then we came out here and talked with uh, Ben Poland at the time and Amy Knott, true, two phenomenal people for us. Uh, they put together a checklist. So we handed that out to our retirees. It's uh, a checklist that has you ask for your DD-214, your NGB-32, ID card, insurance stuff, put it in a folder, put it in a drawer, tell everybody in the family where it is. So when you pass, they can pull that out and just start down through. Military personnel folks down here are phenomenal for, for their um, dedication and help uh, to resolve those situations and when one passes. Uh, Amy and Ben were, again, uh, they came out to one of our reunions and spoke to everybody and insisted on making sure that everybody had the information uh, that that was ready to listen and um, so that that's been a big big burden off a lot of people's shoulders um, you guys are kind of like uh, subject matter expert recruiters we're tired what, what we are we're uh, we're better than that even uh, we're recruiting we love this place as far as recruiting goes uh, but we know resources. We know the people to go to. We don't know what they can tell you, but we know the subject matter and who to uh, send you to, whether it's in mill pay or uh, personnel for ID cards uh, and those sort of things. So we, we have a, a broad knowledge with our retirees group. We have people from every walk of life out here. The cherry on top is you've got 37 years of job knowledge on with that to go along with that that's pretty cool and again with the shop that uh i was privileged to be part of uh we saw everybody on base i mean if the fire department needed a uh, rack of hoses to have a cover made for they came to see us tire buildup uh it's kind of a dusty dirty shop uh, back in the old days so we would make uh, covers for the tires because you can't get have dirt and dust get into the bearings and things like that so Again, we were fortunate to see everybody on base and help the uh, organization become 
the organization that it is. Which is what you guys continue to do with the Maine Air National Guard Retirees Association, right? I mean, what are some of the things that you guys have done, volunteer work out here? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yes, it started out uh, with Bob Tracy. He was in the uh, Com Nav shop. And he said, you know, he said, they got that flagpole down there. We have got the 101. He said, uh, how about if we uh, uh, get a monument? So we started to make a collection. Well, then we come to find out there was some, at that particular time of year, <laughs> there were funds available for a monument. Uh, so we had one uh, made up that said, to all who served and sacrificed for this unit in the United States of America and it's down at the base of the flagpoles. Well, we kind of got looking at that and said, you know, this is kind of sad looking all by itself. So then we created the Memorial Brick Area, which there's almost 400 individual bricks down there, recognizing those that have uh, worked out here. It's a great retirement present. Uh, we have the forms for those. Uh, they're around $40. But uh, you can have your name engraved on them, your dates of service and whatnot. Uh, again, it's fun to get down there and look at the names and uh, remember stories. In fact, when the first, I'll digress here just a bit, when the first delivery of stones, uh, bricks came, we had about 250 of them. And we had areas that, okay, uh, could my family be kind of kept together? Uh, the Gleasons, for instance, is in with the Gleason, Mike and Della's uh, family. We're getting back to the sibling thing here. There's seven bricks for them. Wow. Uh, the Andrews, there's uh, four for them. Uh, two chiefs and two captains. Kind of cool. We have uh, in the center of the area, we have eight by eight bricks with the names of the original charter members, 119 of them recognized. Uh, but when the bricks came, we said, okay, I need to have that person over there with that group and this one and this one and this one. But it was comical. Uh, what should have taken like three hours was almost six because when people would pull a brick out, the stories, it was, it was phenomenal. In fact, we had a lot of on-base folks come by wondering what the heck we were doing. And, and uh, so they were joining it. I remember my dad talked about this and, and this one over here and that one. And, and again, the, it started out with like a 200, 220, I think it was. And now we're up to almost 400. Uh, also down there, the, there's a stone that's been relocated to there that was a dedication of the uh, Philip Tukey ramp that was getting overgrown with cedar hedges, so we moved that down there. The Tukey family donated a granite picnic table so you can get down and sit and, you know, if the wife's at the commissary, you can pick up a sandwich and go up there and play Remember When with some of the folks. Uh, with the 89, where that is, uh, Mark Andrews asked, he says, if we can buy a piece of the uh, building 496 when that was being torn down, any way, any way we can you know, make a monument out of this iconic building. And so we did. We got a piece of the building, just kind of showed up. And uh, for those of you who don't know, 496 was the, the old hangar before 499, right? Is that Correct, right? yes. Yeah, so it's a very historic building out here for the Maynard Guard. 
Yeah, that building was uh, uh, became occupied in 1955. And another piece of irony here too, the first shop to go in there was the parachute shop. Oh, that's awesome. And that was the, the boss of the parachute shop was Rolly Andrews. He and his brother-in-law, Paul Tower, worked in that shop together. They, one was life support and one was parachute. So Rolly was the first one in. Maintenance-wise, Mark was the last one out. That's wild. So well, that- we, we kind of created it. Yeah. Uh, L, uh, LRS, they went over there while their building was being rehabbed um, and used it as a supply point. But maintenance-wise, Mark uh, was one of the last ones out of the building. And, uh, and Mark, Mark is Rolly's son? Yes, right? he's okay. Rolly's yeah. son, and he retired as a chief from the uh, flight line. So that was pretty cool. Again, we're getting back to the, the family ties and what a Legacy. strong, united yeah. unit this, this is. Um, one other neat story, too, that we do for our people. When the supply building was rebuilt, some of the folks said, hey, you know, can we get a tour? So at that time, it was uh, Major Nutter was over there. And uh, so we said, yeah, so we connected with them. And so we had the retirees come out and they would they would give a tour. Well, there was one gentleman, uh, General Cliff Wood. He was executive officer out here one time and he had a brother, Jimmy Wood, that was a boom operator, and their son, Jim's son, was an NDI, and again, we're, we're yeah. talking this family tree. So anyway, but General Wood came out, and he had his walker, and he was kind of looking around the building, and Major Nutter uh, was saying, okay, and I don't know the, the alphabet soup, uh, but this is like LRS boss, and Chief so-and-so was in there, Chief, and General Wood is just kind of looking around like he's lost. So after the second office, when, again, Major Nutter uh, was explaining who was in there, I said, can I have a time out here? I said, uh, General, I said, the first office is where uh, Colonel Joe King was. And this is where Joe Murphy was. These are folks that were in his timeline. So now he had a better perspective of, yeah, of yeah. What, uh, what the building retained, but yeah. diff- different names. Oh, okay. So that was cool. Uh, he had fun with that. but. Again, the getting back to your original question of uh, what do we do for our folks? Uh, again, we're resources. Come talk to us. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? How, how does that work? Our chain of command, so to speak, we are an unofficial organization. We work for the MPF commander. Uh, we're responsible for reports to uh, to them financially in things. Uh, then we uh, work with the liaison, uh, was Major Beal. Uh, but if, if you want to talk to us, uh, ultimately we we're, uh, were responsible to Colonel Roy, or the base commander. Command Chief uh, Osgood knows how to get a hold of us. Colonel Roy does. Uh, if you want the information, all we need is your email and we can get it to you. The contacts are in there. So, uh, but you can pretty much check with any uh, section on base, and they they will have a uh, handle on how to get a hold of us. Because, like I said, it's it's. Um, I think we all know that you guys exist, and you got the organization exists. But we, it, it was always kind of a, even for me. Um, I, I you know not really knowing 
what you guys provide or what, what it is you guys do. And um, I know I know we certainly appreciate it, you know, and especially with you in particular coming out and and uh, offering the, the sewing services and getting our, our uniforms ready because that's been especially last minute stuff. I know I remember last year getting ready to head out the door. I needed something done and, and it was done like within a couple of days. And it was and it was like, holy crap, that's awesome. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty excited about it. But yeah. But hopefully these new uniforms are going to put you out of business with these Velcro ranks and, you know. Well, you know, that's that's a bit of a challenge because there are some folks and the regulation stipulates that you can either have the rank Velcroed or sewn on. Right, yeah. There are some that like the sewn on. Yeah, I, 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 I don't promote that. No. Because they're a pain in the neck. Oh, I'm sure. Are they? <laughs> well, yeah, the, yeah. the rank, for yeah. instance, uh, on your uh, uh, middle of your chest there, uh, to take the Velcro off and to sew the rank on, I have to cut the zipper off. Oh, really? Oh, re- wow. Remove the zipper uh, to get the Velcro off and then sew the zipper back on and then put the rank over, but I have to walk over the zipper in two places. And, Just a pain in the butt, yeah. Well, it is, yeah. but we do it. Yeah, and you still got the blues, right? People can, you, you yes. still sew your blues yep. on, so, yeah. Yeah, That's blues, awesome. and if you're fortunate enough to be a member of the Honor Guide, we take care of those uniforms free. If I was to suggest something that is rewarding and fulfilling, check into the Honor Guard. It's, it's so rewarding to be able to perform military honors for a, a uh, fallen soldier. It really is. I think I speak for everybody when I say thank you to all of you, to you guys who do do that and continue to do it because you're not... You're not getting paid, you know, not to sound petty, but we're not, you're not getting paid like us. Like if I wanted to go do honor guard right now, I'm still getting paid. It's my job. Um, it's additional duty, but you guys aren't. And that shows something that's cool. Rick, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast and agreeing to do this interview. I know it's kind of a, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. And to be honest with you, we don't either. We, we appreciate what you've done and what in your service, your 37 years and everything you continue to do for us. And we really do appreciate that. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for, uh, I'm not much to uh, be in front of a microphone, but to talk about this unit, the retirees group, um, we could be here for through lunch break. Well, you know what, and that's that's a good point too. And maybe you know we could do a follow up interview, and, and, and maybe maybe once a quarter or something, we could have somebody. It doesn't have to be you every time. You can delegate that down, and or, or volunteer someone else, and someone else can come on and talk. You know. Chief Halstead's got a, a background in this stuff too, doesn't he? Yes, so, he does. So he, I'm sure he'd love to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah we have cool. we have quite a few retirees that like to talk. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks yeah. again, Rick. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andy. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thanks again to Rick for talking with us. The Maine Air National Guard Retirees Association does amazing things. Think of it this way. They have hundreds of years worth of knowledge combined, and they really are a great resource. Up next, Master Sergeant Norm Stanton is back with us to talk about retention. But first, I want to congratulate a few maniacs. Master Sergeant Pete Bernard will be our newest senior Master Sergeant this weekend. He's been up in the command post for quite a while, knows the ins and outs, and is an expert in his craft. He has big shoes to fill, but if anyone can do it, it's him. Congrats on your promotion, Senior. Very well deserved. Also, Senior Master Sergeant Nate Anaya will be pinning on that final roof this weekend. He's the wing's newest chief, and I personally can't wait to see what he brings to the table, given that his reputation as a leader and a senior NCO is absolutely outstanding. Congrats to you, Chief. 
It's very cool. Alrighty, let's move on to our next interview with Senior Master Sergeant John Duplain and Mass Sergeant Norm Stanton. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Senior Master Sergeant John Duplain. I am with uh, Norm Stanton, our uh, retention person here at the wing. And uh, as promised, we brought him back in to kind of talk about what's going on in the wing. I know uh, when you first arrived, we were, we were kind of uh, chit-chatting a little bit, and uh, we were discussing that there's going to be a lot of uh, new UCAs out and about. So if someone's in that window, What's your suggestion? I mean, how do I find out who my UCAs are? Uh, hopefully the UCAs are introducing themselves. We do have a lot, a lot of new UCAs on the base, like you said. Uh, hopefully they're, they're taking the chance to introduce themselves at the beginning of the UTA weekend. Uh, if you do not know who the UCA is for your squadron, uh, make it a point to find out. Uh, they're a good source of uh, information about GI Bill questions you may have or other benefit questions. Uh, they also will be the ones that will be conducting this uh, career motivation program interviews with you, which would be an initial interview, uh, typically within the first year of enlistment, and a re-enlistment uh, should be conducted about 12 months before your ETS. Okay, so, yeah, so again, folks, just be aware, if you don't know who your UCA is, um, ask around. Um, I'm sure they've got other responsibilities and duties as well. So, um, you know, just just uh, seek that information out, ask your first sergeant, ask your supervisor, and hopefully if, if you're in either one of those windows, uh, you can get in contact with them and meet them and, and uh, have a better understanding of what's going on. So that's good. So we've got that. Um, looking forward to, to that program kind of getting reinvigorated. Uh, we also talked a little bit about this 16-year rule. Can you Fill me in on that. I, I know just enough to be dangerous, so you can yep. help me out. Uh, DOD passed a law last year that uh, basically anybody with 16 years time in service from their pay date will no longer be able to transfer their GI Bill to a dependent, uh, the post 9-11 GI Bill. They did rescind that rule. They decided that uh, it would it's more of a benefit than a retention tool. So they rescinded that. So anybody who does have 16 years or more can still transfer that benefit to their dependent. Okay, so when we say transfer the benefit, just to rewind this a little bit for, for people that don't understand. So if I've got, um, if I've got a year or so of, of benefit left and I'm not going to pursue a degree, I could transfer it to who? Correct. You, anybody who's in DEERS, basically, any family member who's under your profile in DEERS, so your minor dependents or your spouse, uh, adopted children, again, anybody that falls under your DEERS um, benefits. Okay, so you can't adopt me then? Correct. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you can at least feed me. Um, right. Okay, so if they're in deers, that makes sense then. So that that, that actually proves that, that they're a, a dependent uh, or spouse. And then from there, um, how, what, how does it play out after that? So, so the, the process to, to set the whole uh, post 9-11 transfer up is the first thing, once you have 90 days of active duty time, uh, your BMT and tech school will not count. Uh, it will eventually, but you still you have to hit 24 years, or 24 months, sorry, of total active duty months before they'll include your IADT time. Uh, so once you hit 90 days deployment, MPA, AGR, anything that's Title 10 or AGR will count towards applying for the benefit. 
once you hit those 90 days, it's it's good to apply for the benefit for yourself, which is the requirement. You go into the into va.gov, you apply to use the benefit. Even if you're not going to use it, you have to be approved to use it before NGB will approve the transfer. Okay. So, and once that's done, once you get that approval letter, you're going to get an eligibility letter in the mail from the VA. Uh, it's going to tell you how, mu- how many months you have remaining and the percentage uh, that they've uh, awarded you for the benefit. Okay. So you may not be, I'm just assuming I'd be at 100%, but everyone's, is that going to different? Right. It'll be based on the amount of time of active duty you have accumulated over ever since, well, since 9-11, basically. They'll only count active duty time from 9-11 on. So September 11-01 on. Any active duty time you have from that period on will count towards the percentage tier that they put you on. And 36 total months would get you 100%. And it's typically, uh, they did away with the 40% tier. So after 90 days, you're at 50% automatically. And then I would typically every six months, you bump up 10% until you hit that 36 month. Okay. So that's good. So kind of another incentive or bonus for, especially for traditionals that need to boost that time up to pick up a a short tour or volunteer maybe for for some active duty or NPA. To kind of to kind of get that boosted up because uh, that's that's a pretty big benefit when you're it paying is. for colleges, even state oh, colleges. Oh, it is. It is. If you so as members here, we can use state TA as long as we don't have a bachelor's degree. Uh, the the nice part about that is you can use state TA for your own degree, uh, and then you could transfer that post 9/11 benefit to your minor dependents, which would help them offset the cost of college when they go eventually. Right. Um, and that that's always. Uh, Always a helpful benefit, and you can you can transfer one month all the way up to 36, depending on the number of dependents you have uh, and how many months remaining you have. If you've used any GI Bill, it could take from that uh, number of months that you have left to transfer. Right. So, yeah, if you only had it for a few months and then uh, whatever your remaining is, I could divide that up between two or three kids or one. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and you just... you, you uh, you determine that on your own right that's that yeah once you make that decision so once you have that eligibility letter in the mail from the uh, the VA then you're gonna go into mill connect and you'll go to the TEB transfer education benefits tab on mill connect and it'll list your dependents and you can decide one month all the way up to 36 per dependent it's always good to give each dependent at least one month that way, if anything happens and you're separated for any reason, uh, it could be medical, it could be whatever the reason may be, if you haven't assigned them at least one month, you can never go back once you're separated and assign them one month. I see. But you can, once they have that month, you can always go in and adjust the amount they have after the fact. Right. Uh, while you're in or even after you retire or separate, you can still go in and, and adjust that as long as you meet that four-year service commitment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so assigning them one month, that's interesting because uh, you never know, right? Right. So you may plan to be in another 20 years and something happens. Right. Anything could happen. Yeah. Um, so it's it, like I said, as long as they have one month, you can go in and adjust that after the fact. Right. And this is federal. So if you can change, if I change duty stations, I want to move down to Knoxville and take a tour down there. That wouldn't, that would still not affect us, right? Correct. You. So the, the approving official is... 
Air National Guard. It's NGB National Guard Bureau. So you would have to stay in the Air National Guard, but you could do it anywhere. Uh, if you did transfer to another branch, they all have their own programs. Uh, you may need to sign a new uh, four-year service commitment if you say the Army Guard. Uh, you decide to transfer the Army Guard or Air Force Reserves. Uh, you may be required to serve another four years when you transfer. So, what about an old timer like me? Um, that's already I've already have my um, months allocated. So uh, once I've given them out, if I was to get out and I've already done my commitment, how would that affect it? It will. It will not. Once it's approved and you've met that four year service commitment, it's yours for good. Uh, it it will be based on. So for minor dependents, the benefit never it doesn't expire, but it will end on their. 26th birthday as long as they're still in Deers when they start school. Yeah, uh, They can be married, but as long as they were in Deers when they started that school year, it'll continue to pay up to their 26th birthday. If uh, So for the minor dependents, it never expires. Up to, it, it, well, it expires on the 26th birthday, but for the member or their spouse, it'll expire depending on when they did their active duty time. So if they did their last... 90-day period of active duty was prior to 2016, then they have a 15-year delimiting date. I see. So it will expire 15 years from your last period of active duty. Okay. If you if you did 90 days of active duty after 2016, then you'll fall under the forever GI Bill, and that never expires. Yeah, a lot of uh, different dynamics to it, and you know, everyone's situation I'm sure is different. Depending on how many exactly. classes you've taken when you were eligible for the GI Bill and you've already been to school for a couple of years and right. you might not use your full benefit. So, um, so there, there are really so many variables depending on each person's circumstance that uh, before you transfer it, I, I highly recommend coming to see me in the retention office. It, it could mean a difference between 12 more months of the benefits that would that the VA could give you depending on which current GI Bill you relinquish to get the post 911. Uh, so definitely come see me before you do it. It's it's good anyway. I can walk you through the process right. and explain how it all works and the timelines. And then eventually you'll have to see me anyway to get me documentation so I can submit it to uh, National Guard Bureau for approval. Yeah, and for me too, which is a different situation. I had uh, the Montgomery GI Bill. Probably people don't remember that, but with my uh, prior commitment to the Army, so I had uh, 36 months from that, and then I also earned post 9-11 GI Bill, so I earned an additional 12 months or 13 months from that, Right. and um, I was able to transfer that to my family. So again, a lot of lot of different variables, and I was, wasn't even thinking that maybe I had any benefits, but had I not come down and, right. and kind of felt that out with you, I would have just assumed that I've used all mine. I had my, right. had my one month, and what? You know, which right. I still would have transferred, but yeah. at that point, um, yeah, I would have missed out on, you know, they would have missed out on all that time. Which, Correct. Uh, yeah. So pretty, pretty big deal. And it, again, too, if you're going to deploy, you know, you have something coming up that could push your benefit months up too, right? Your, your, your amount. So the percentage. And yeah. The, and the VA should update that automatically. If it doesn't happen, I ask people just to come see me, get me a copy of your orders or your 214s, and I'll submit them to the VA so they, they update the, the percentage. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. Especially if you're thinking about timing-wise. You may wait till after your deployment because right. you're going to get more. Because you, if you get the minimum amount, you're still going to get that month versus if you had 
higher amount, correct? Right. They'll increase it no matter what. Once yeah. you once you're approved at a certain percentage, any active duty you do after that, they will increase the percentage until you hit the hundred percent. Not, even not, for the minor dependents. Yeah, and not retroactive though. Not for the ones you've already Correct. used. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. So if you're going to use some, it's always better to be at the highest percentage you can be right. uh, prior to using them. Yeah. No. Just interesting uh, piece of that. Um, well, I think we got everything covered. We got the uh, UCAs. Be on the lookout. Ask around. Find out who your UCA is and, and make contact with them. And then we talked uh, a little bit about the 16-year rule right. for the GI Bill and what a what a big deal that is. So, and uh, again, if anyone has questions, um, they can come down and see you. Yep. Email. Email. Call. Come down and see me in the recruiting office, and uh, we can get your questions answered for you. Yep, sounds good. Like I said, it's a big help for me personally. Um, so I know I know it works, and it, it was pretty painless once you gave me the steps. Right. It, it seemed like a lot at first. I was yeah, like, come yeah. on. It can be. But, and the, and the website's not user-friendly, so it can be a little daunting. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I tell people to come see me also, because I can walk them through the process and right. explain it to them. Because I think you told me, yep, do steps one and two. Once you have that done, then come back and see me, and then we'll know where, where you're at. Right. And then I can tell you what to do with that. So first first meet those requirements. So that made it a little easier. So. So I, I appreciate your help, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people do as well. Take advantage of as many benefits as you can. That's, that's what it's all about. Yep. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. This Maniac Fact is brought to you by the 101st Air Refueling Wing Fuels, or Fuel Specialist where they are the experts at dispensing aircraft energy. Even with all of our advanced technology, our aircraft simply cannot operate without fuel. It is the job of fuel specialists to manage every aspect of refueling of every aircraft on the flight line. More than handling jet fuel, these professionals are also responsible for operating the vehicles, equipment, and storage facilities that are essential to the refueling operation all the while ensuring the compliance of all safety regulations while handling these volatile liquids. It's a vital job here at the 101st, and our professionals here have a direct impact on the mission every single day. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a fuel specialist, you know what to do. So in our last episode, we talked about how the Bangor Air National Guard base we all know today wasn't officially a base until the year 1982. However, the Maine Air National Guard began in 1947. February, to be exact. That's a whole seven months before Big Air Force took the nation by surprise. But Bangor had seen military aircraft presence since just prior to World War II, when the U.S. Army moved in and built Dow Army Airfield in 1942. If we go back even further, we'll find the planes have been taking off and landing in Bangor since 1927, 93 years ago. But back then, it wasn't called Dow, and it certainly wasn't the Bangor Air National Guard Base. The name was Godfrey Field. Edward Godfrey was born in 1877, here in Bangor. After high school, he attended both Bowdoin College here in Maine, and then later went on to Harvard Law School. He enjoyed athletics. In fact, he not only passed all of his strength tests in college, outperforming every other college athlete in Maine, but later records would show that his test results surpassed most college athletes around the world. Edward also liked music. In fact, he could play the piano by ear. But his interest wasn't in strongman contests or being a famous musician. It was to start a commercial aviation business here in Bangor. 
Edward, now a local attorney, purchased 500 acres of land and little by little built an airport and runway. The first flight took off from Bangor and flew to Boston on August 1st, 1931. Boston Maine Airways was owned by the railroad company, but was under contract to Pan American, who was interested in using the location as a hub for aircraft en route from the US to Europe. Oh, and side note, Boston Maine Airways later became Northeast Airlines, which later merged with Delta Airlines in 1972. As I mentioned before, the US Army moved in in 1942. The Army had the same idea Pan American had, use Bangor as an embarkation point for aircraft heading overseas. The name Godfrey Field was pushed out and Dow Army Airfield moved in. I'd like to imagine the look on local farmers' faces when the first few military aircraft were seen in Bangor skies as being less than thrilled. But who knows, in 1947, big air force took to the skies and it was time for the army to go do army things. Dow Air Force Base was here from 1947 to 1968. Another cool piece of history is that in 1958, the largest runway east of the Mississippi was built right here to accommodate Dow's B-52 bombers. Of course, nowadays the guard base shares the runway with the Bangor International Airport, an airport that is still a hub for embarkation and aircraft passing through to head overseas. There's a long history here on this land, and it all started with Edward Rawson Godfrey, a Harvard grad lawyer who saw opportunity and ran with it. Something else I wanted to mention about Edward Rawson Godfrey, well, his son anyway, who was also Edward Rawson Godfrey. He was born on November 19, 1907. He graduated from MIT with a degree in aeronautical engineering, later went on to join the US Navy Reserves as a naval aviator and a test pilot in World War II. Aside from marrying his wife Gladys and later welcoming their son into their lives, another Edward Rawson Godfrey, by the way, perhaps one of his greater accomplishments in life was while he was employed with a company called Grumman Aircraft, where he worked on a little task called the Lunar Landing Project. In 1969, Grumman Aircraft won the contract to build the lunar module for Project Apollo. Yes, the module that would take Americans to the Sea of Tranquility. A couple of Americans by the names of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It seems that aeronautical greatness was destined for the Godfrey family. Drill Weekend is here. Don't forget to look out for your wingmen, your co-workers, your battle buddies, whatever you want to call them. Our airmen are our greatest assets. Let's keep everyone safe. That's all there is for this episode of the Maniac Radio Show, and I'm Master Sergeant Andy Sinclair. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, we have an app, we have a website, we don't have TikTok, so don't bother looking for that. Keep calm and maniac on, everyone. Unless you're from Pease and you're listening to this. Keep calm and Pease on, right?